Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. You know, we've talked about a a bunch of really interesting topics on the Gaines podcast over the last two weeks. We were talking about crypto estate planning and how to create a family investment club, looking at retirement in a different way. I've loved kind of delving into a lot of those topics. And if you haven't heard some of those, go back and check them out. There's really a ton of actionable information in those past couple episodes. But with the stock market volatility, we just had a beat down today with markets down nearly 2% across the board. But we've seen a ton of volatility as of late. And it's time to, again, focus on the markets, look at where we are technically, and come up with a plan on how we can kind of play this volatility and uh, maybe pick up some good deals when we do see markets have these big down days and declines. We're turning our focus back to the markets today. I'm Andy Gersher, and this is Gains. Let's uh, bring on Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios out of San Diego, California. His website, as always, macrotides.com. How's it going, Jim? Uh, knock on wood, it's going well. Hopefully, uh, same for you too, Andy. Yeah, yeah. And um, kind of glad we had a, uh, our conversation in December because a lot of the things that we discuss have actually come to fruition and uh, kind of just pick up there. Well, the expectation I had for the market was that the S&P would be uh, vulnerable to a 10 to 15% correction in response to the Federal Reserve becoming far less accommodative. And I think the next shoe to drop is we're going to see uh, economic data coming out in the next handful of days in the next few weeks for January, and they're going to, that data is going to come in under expectations. So I think the chorus that's going to emerge, Andy, is, uh, gee, the Fed is raising or you know, tightening monetary policy as the economy is slowing. Oh, my gosh, they're going to tip us into a, a recession. And so that's why I have felt that the uh, market was likely to drop below the low of January during the first quarter, uh, because, you know, that's like bad news. Fed raising rates and the economy slowing. That's not a good thing. You talked about this when we discussed it at the end of the year. The Fed's real slow to the draw here. And uh, you had even mentioned in our last conversation that it might have been a good idea for them to get 
really aggressive on the in the onset to, to get a a handle on this this slow to the draw process yep. I, I don't doesn't appear to be going uh well no i mean they're behind the curve clearly and uh thank you for that acknowledgement i mean starting in june of last year i was writing that the inflation wouldn't be transitory and it would be far more persistent and so forth and you know the fed when it started to taper its uh balance sheet to me was very timid about it and yeah my conclusion as i outlaid in december was i thought that the fed would be well served if they increased the federal funds rate a quarter point at the march meeting at the may meeting and at the june meeting and now as of today we're seeing a lot of the uh, market-based uh, indicators saying yep that's kind of what they're now pricing in with another rate hike for july um, because the fed was so far behind the curve i thought they needed to move um, you know, consistently as opposed to a 50 basis point hike. And I still do not believe, Andy, that the Fed will go 50 basis points, certainly not in March. The Fed truly believes in forward guidance. And what that means is communicating at a high level so markets aren't surprised. And unless we see a lot of Fed uh, FOMC members in the next few weeks talking about a 50 basis point hike in March, uh, I think that's unlikely. Uh, James Bullard from the St. Louis Fed was out today saying that he's comfortable with the Fed raising rates, uh, uh, you know, a full one percentage point in the next three meetings. A.K.A. A.K.A. Yeah. a mouthpiece for Jay Powell, by the way. Um, yeah. And he also it's important to really understand where they each of these uh, voting members fit on the spectrum of hawk versus dove. And so Bullard is certainly one of the more uh, hawkish. Uh, Powell is more towards the middle. And then you've got people like Cash Carly up in Minneapolis and Daly in San Francisco who are really pretty uber dovish. So, again, to me, Andy, you know, what I've seen over years is you'll have somebody like Bullard come out and say something like that to kind of move the needle and make the market start to accept that, hey, wait a second, we're serious. We're going to be doing this and in a sense overreach knowing that when he gets in the room and they're sitting around the big table, that there's going to be discussion. And, you know, they might not go that far in all likelihood. But the bottom line is the markets really weren't, I think, uh, of the mind of accepting that the Fed was going to have to move in a more aggressive fashion. And now that, that light is going on, and I think we're seeing how the markets are responding. Were you surprised that they're even waiting Till March, I, I was thinking, you know, with the data we've seen as of late and, and current conditions, maybe the the Fed should move sooner than later. And, yeah. and you know, another factor here, and, and, and you talked about this, you were talking about playing the inverse of this. You have bond yields moving higher as well, and, yep. and Treasuries, explain that as it fits into the uh, overall equation. The overall equation. <clears throat> well, you know, my expectation was that the inflation data would continue to show rising inflation in January and February, which would only increase the rhetoric from the Fed and then market expectations of how the Fed would respond and that Treasury yields were likely to rise in that environment and a measured move on a 10-year from the low in 2020 targeted around 238 on the 10-year and the 30-year going above 2.5%. So obviously today, yields ratcheted up 
And I think that we're going to see higher yields in the near term. The ECB, and this is, y'all, I think, you know, again, step back a little bit, Andy. Uh, a, a week ago, the uh, Bank of England increased their policy rate from 25 bips to 50 basis points. And the ECB talked about, well, we're going to probably have to remove our QE accommodation before the end of the year, and there's a slight chance we might raise rates. So I think the markets are finally realizing that it isn't just the Fed. This is a global move toward uh, removing accommodation and higher interest rates. The 10-year German boon in mid-December was minus 38 basis points, and today it was over 20 basis points. So the move we're seeing in the U.S. is being mirrored by what's happening overseas as well. So this is a global shift in monetary policy and in uh, treasury yields or, you know, uh, sovereign yields. Yeah. You know, the uh, talking about um, yields, that pro share short, uh, the ticker on that is uh, TBF. Uh, I think when we were initially talking about it was around uh, just under 16 and things popped over. Mm -hmm. uh, And we're looking. Yeah. yeah, 1733. So, uh, kind of fulfilling what we discussed for those who jumped on that trade do you see uh a lot more beyond where it is right now as far as uh, uh yeah, yields yeah. or are we starting yeah, I to get think we're going to i mean today was a kind of an acceleration day popping and, over two yes and the increase in the 30 year and so forth so to me the 30 year getting above 225 uh, was kind of like, okay, that would be a signal of acceleration. And we saw that today. So, again, Annie, I, I think in the near term, we're going to see yields press higher. Um, I, I think for anybody, you know, what you want to start to do at some point in time is use some kind of a trailing stop uh, below the current price on TBF. And so, to me, the logical place is around 1695 right now because that was an original high in TBF and then it started to you know trade around that and then it's obviously jumped above that in the last couple of days so to me that would be a place to raise the stop and then if it gets above 1750 <clears throat> you raise the stop to 17 and a quarter or so forth so you, as it keeps going up it, you kind of want to gradually narrow the gap between the current current price and um, uh, you know, where the stop would be, um, just b- to lock in again, you know? Um, so that's the way I would continue to, uh, approach, uh, TBF. Um, you know, the trend right now is our friend. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, so as, as bond yields move sharply higher, we're getting this hot reading on inflation. I, this really doesn't shape up, or this isn't a great background for, for stocks, is it at all? No. I mean, it, 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 yeah, it isn't, Andy. I mean, that's in December. You know, my point was as Treasury yields go up, uh, we're going to see valuation metrics start to get compressed, especially on the high PE stocks, which is why I thought some of the mega cap stocks would be vulnerable to, and contribute to a correction uh, as 10 year yields went up. So everything is kind of falling in line. With this backdrop not being very good for stocks. What's the play here? You're a stock market technician. We always talk about levels. What specifically, folks, get out a pen and paper here. (laughs) Take these levels down. You know, let's 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 hit on the key levels that we're watching here, Jim. 
Well, don't get a pen, Andy. Get a pencil, because once in a while you're going to need that eraser, right? Yeah. Uh, so from the high at 48.18, the S&P dropped uh, 595 points to 42.23. It then had a rebound high so far of 45.95. And I was looking for the market to rebound uh, potentially to 45.50 as, as high as 46.50. So it got to just about halfway in there. But the main point here, Andy, is my expectation is uh, from whatever rebound high we hit, and the odds are starting to rise, obviously, that that high last week at 45.95 is all we're likely to see. I then would subtract 595 points from that high to make a guesstimate of, okay, if the next decline is equal to the first decline, where would that take us? And that would take the S&P down to about 4,000. Now, if somehow the S&P is able to rebound and make it back up towards 4650, then I would subtract 400 or 595 points from 4650 and come up with a different target, a higher target, obviously. But the bottom line is my expectation has been that we would see the S&P drop below the January 24th low at 4223. And once that took place, uh, then we'd have a much more tradable low that would likely last for a period of months as opposed to a handful of days or a couple of weeks. So um, I, I think, you know, we're coming up to a buying opportunity and potentially that could unfold before we get, you know, into mid-March when the Fed and the ECB meet. So it, we're going to see a lot of volatility. Um, are, are they baking it in? Do you think markets are baking this, this you know, this Fed move right now? Because a lot of times we often see, uh, yeah. You know, when they actually go for the move, it's already been baked in the markets, and that could be a spur to move things higher. And the perfect setup here would be the expectation of a 50 basis point hike at the March 16 meeting. And the Fed doesn't deliver that, instead does 25, and also tees up a rate increase for May, which is kind of what I outlined of my expectation. The markets would be high, a, a big sigh of relief. So technically, seeing the S&P drop below the 42.23 appear to have completed the price pattern as it's doing that and uh, and then start to reverse. To me, that would, you know, I'm looking for a buying opportunity. I think there's a, a very high likelihood the S&P will rally to new all-time highs by, you know, in the fourth quarter of this year, early next year, comfortably above 5,000. And I base that on that I do not believe we're going into a recession. Um, and I think inflation, based on you know some of the calculations that I went through in the February macro ties, we're going to see inflation come down in the second quarter. Um, and that might provide the Fed, if they raise rates at the March, May, and June meeting, the opportunity to hit the pause button. And if the economy rebounds, as I expect, because COVID and Omicron cases are dropping significantly, as we get into March and April, I think a lot of people have the wherewithal and they're going to want to spend some money and go out and get back to normalcy. So I think the, re the economy is going to rebound pretty smartly as we get into that window. So there you have a situation where the Fed hits the pause button and the economy is doing well, earnings look okay. That's you know, the path to a rally to a new all-time high. And that's my, I guess, preferred uh, path uh, at this point in time. You know, inflation is going to be a little tricky. We still have, last week, Ford closed four, eight plants. They don't have enough computer chips. So that's still a problem. 
the ports are still pretty clogged. Now we even have truckers. Now we even yes. have uh, some trucker issues as yes. uh, what you know what we've we've seen uh, going on in Canada, and and a lot of those are parts between yes. auto yep. auto companies. We see a uh, border between Detroit and Windsor has been shut down and, and right. uh, you know, the, the roundabout yeah, way. aren't helpful. Yeah. No, you know, no, no. The supply chain stuff. So my point is, and again, I discussed this in the February macro tides, is if you look at, these are the positives and the, the couple things. You hear a lot of people talk about the, the yield curve and, oh, my God, it's going to invert. And it's basically looking at the two-year and the 10-year. And it inverts when the 10-year drops below the two-year. And I think that it's about 50, 52 basis points today. So it's still positive by a decent amount. And uh, the lead time, though, historically, going back like 60 years, is that the economy hasn't entered a recession uh, for 19 months after an inversion. So we're talking to something with a huge lead time, and it hasn't even happened yet. And secondly, if you look at the leading economic indicators, which is even a better indicator um, that typically has peaked about eight to nine months, the median, prior to a recession. Well, in January, it's still going up at a very nice clip. So my point is these indicators that have worked really, really well in foreshadowing a recession going back the last 60-plus years are in the strong bullish camp still. So I, I, I think, and again, this was my expectation, that we would see economic data show weakness. The Fed is going to be talking tough. People are going to start to worry about a recession. We'd see a sell-off, and that would create the buying opportunity because, as I said, I think inflation is going to ease in the second quarter, uh, and the economy is going to be fine. You know, So um, it comes down to being ready for that trading low and then um, – you know, putting some capital to work. And we're going to talk about that buying opportunity when we get back from our quick break here. Hey, real quick, be sure to subscribe, follow, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if that's an option. As as I say always, that's podcast gold. Also subscribe and turn on those notifications so you know when a new episode drops. We drop the gains episodes on Tuesday and Thursday afternoons. Uh, we're going to be right back with Jim. We're going to talk about how to play this current market environment when we get back. Uh, So we'll be right back with Jim Welsh. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing. However you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launcher online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got 
got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, back with Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios in San Diego, California. His website, as always, macrotides.com. Jim's always willing to share his newsletter, some of his data with the Gaines listener. So uh, let's do your plugs here, Jim. Uh, For the Gaines listener, you have some valuable information about the current conditions uh, that they need to take a look at. Well, as I mentioned, I'd be happy to send the February macro tides. Uh, My email is jimwelsh, W-E-L-S-H, macro at gmail.com. Uh, they can also go to macrotides.com and take a look at uh, my website and you know get some more information about Macrotides, which is a monthly report. And then, as you know, Andy, I do a weekly technical review that comes out every single Monday afternoon, and that looks at the market more from a technical standpoint and not just stocks, bonds, gold, silver, the dollar, uh, gold stocks, and obviously treasury yields. So it really kind of covers all the major markets every single week. Yeah, so you know, take Jim up on that and and reach out to him. Um, okay, so we were you know as we were heading into the break, you know we kind of set the backdrop here. Not really good for stocks. You see some further downside, uh, but then you said there will be a buying opportunity. So I guess what the play what what is the play? What levels are you looking at to start nibbling? Yep. And um, you know just w- what's your advice? Uh, once those levels get breached and you start, you know, seeing a time to buy, what what would even be on your list, maybe sector-wise? Yeah, well, again, in terms of price levels, at a minimum, the S&P goes below 42.23. And as I said, there's a risk. uh, If 45.95 was the high, uh, the S&P could dip to 4,050. So you don't want to be too aggressive. The next handful of days will kind of tell if we see immediate follow-through, that'll be... uh, uh, you know, a sign that, hey, we're on that path to below 42.23 and maybe towards the 4,050 level as opposed to just under 4,200. For instance, when, you know, you're you're seeing a, 
or you're looking for a potential decline there, do you start yeah. nibbling yeah. Uh, below at 4,200? Do you wait for it? You you said it might go to 4,050 yeah. or 4,000. When do you yeah. start nibbling, and what areas do you nibble? The, the the growth names that have been completely decimated over the last couple months, or is there other areas? Well, here's the thing. In terms of making a guesstimate uh, of where a the S&P may drop to, one needs to see it begin to unfold, and then you start measuring how long each of the legs are to make a calculation. So I'm giving a wide range because right now uh, we don't even have 100% confirmation that the market's about to drop to below 42.23 immediately. So as this thing evolves a little bit, then that gives me the opportunity to be able to say, okay, based on the length of this you know, part of the decline and so forth, gee, 40, you know, 4,100 is a better guesstimate to 4,150. Um, so as to me, the thing is layering in so that if there's something that an, you know, a listener likes, is interested in buying, you first of all should look at a chart to see where support is on that particular security. But then layer in in terms of doing a third position into weakness, ideally, so that you can identify price targets. So to me, under 4,200, uh, begin to layer in, and then it gets down closer to 4,100, then layer in a little bit more, become a little bit more aggressive in terms of if you're buying the S&P. Uh, I'm looking at emerging market uh, ETFs because they've underperformed significantly. The rubber band has kind of gotten stretched in terms of historically when uh, in the specific emerging market ETF is EEM, um, and it is stretched uh, a month or so ago in December, I recommended taking a third position at 47.25, and then another third at 48.50. And I'm waiting for you know this on next decline to unfold to, if you will, complete that position. Um, I think you know the whole space uh, of emerging markets will benefit because. Uh, the emerging market central banks raised rates over 100 times. Uh, Brazil, for instance, went from 2% to 10 and three quarters percent in terms of their policy rate. So point, Andy, is that the emerging market central banks are way ahead of the Fed, and they're closer to the point where they're probably going to hit the pause button, which should be helpful. Secondly, as you know, I was looking for the dollar to top near 97.50. It got to 97.44. I think the dollar is going to see some more weakness over the next few months. And that normally is a tailwind for emerging market uh, equities. So that kind of gives you the overall framework. I'm looking at South Korea. Um, it's another sector that has really gotten hammered. Uh, their COVID cases went through the roof. Um, so, you know, trying to look at some things that will become attractive Um so, that and, and you're a big a fan of Brazil years. too. Uh, you're a big fan yeah. of conditions in Brazil, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Yeah. And now it's rallied pretty nicely. It's rallied more than 10 percent from its low, and I I think oil prices are peaking. Um, there's a trend line connecting the last three tops. It's a rising trend line. We've just hit it. And I think there's maybe one more little push up again for the high. And then I think we're going to see oil prices decline to the 82, 84, and potentially the mid-70s. And one of the things that could trigger that is Putin does not invade Ukraine. 
personally, I don't think he's going to do it. Um, he'll get some concession from the West, potentially, uh, that they won't put offensive weapons into Ukraine. You're pretty confident that Russia uh, will not invade Ukraine. Yeah. I'm on the other hand, I, I, from just folks that yeah. I've talked to, I, I hear potentially towards the end of the Olympics if they were going to make a do it while the Olympics are on because he doesn't want to take away from his new pal. Well, well, and he's going to need his pal, his new pal uh, from China to back him if he's going to make that uh, move. move. Uh, What if, if, all right, so you don't see Russia going into Ukraine. Um, If they do go into Ukraine, you know, there's, there's some action. a A lot of times these geopolitical things don't impact markets as much people as much as people sometimes think. But yeah. what do you think? You know, you get the initial reaction, but a lot sure. of times they don't really materialize into anything significant, especially if it's something along those lines. I mean, we're not talking right. about a full blown world war at that point. How how do you think markets? Uh, well, that would certainly that would that certainly kind of help the S and P get down to uh, forty one hundred pretty quickly. Yeah, that you that know, would be a catalyst, yeah, right? Yeah, it would. So. Um, you know, I, I obviously do not know. Uh, you're probably talking to far more informed people. I'm just looking at it from a strategic standpoint. Well, wait, wait. Let me just say one yeah. thing. I, I don't think yeah. anybody really knows. So I mean, everything Other that we Putin, maybe yeah, that's that's about it. You know, Putin knows, and uh, yeah, yeah, and and maybe he doesn't even know yet. So yeah. you know, that's that's. But but you know, from from just. Looking at this from various sides, you know, we we, we certainly, and this is a podcast, so we can share our opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, here's the thing. I'm kind of backing into that, Andy, because I'm looking at the chart, seeing uh, crude oil come up to a trend line that in uh, four other instances caused it to pull back. Okay. And this, there was, I think we did a podcast in November and I'm like, yeah, I think oil is going to peak and come down. And, and it did. It dropped like 15 bucks pretty quickly. Um, and backwardation. In other words, people are paying an awful lot for the front month as opposed to the further out months for oil, which shows you know tightness in the near term. Well, backwardation levels are really, really high too. So those normally coincide with a near-term peak. In other words, supply starts to show up. So based on expectation that we're going to see a peak in oil and pull back, and it's like, well, what would cause that, you know? Um, and, and Russia not invading Ukraine, I think, would be potentially one of the triggers um, uh, that could cause that. So that's kind of, in a sense, how I backed into the idea that, all right, I don't think Russia is going to do that. And, um, you know, we'll we'll see. But absolutely, if something happens, uh, there's going to be a very, I think, strong knee-jerk reaction. Uh, you know, Treasury yields would come down. Uh, the stock market would get hit. The dollar would probably rally. Um, gold's an interesting play. It, it may have a pretty good spike, but it wouldn't last for probably very long. So, yeah, there'd be a, an interjection of a lot of volatility in a very short period of time in response to if that happens. I could see something like that happen here very soon. If that did happen, talk about a buying uh, opportunity. Full disclosure, I'm betting the house. I'm jumping in the markets. Uh, <laughs> full-fledged because i know how these you know knee-jerk reactions when there is something like that the market gets hit quick but i'm telling you it comes back uh because it really 
is not that huge of an economic impact. If you look at the global, you know, economy, I mean, not, not you know, it's a, it's a, it's an issue, but right. I mean, if you look at how that impacts, you know, the economy in the U S it's, it's, it's pretty small. And, and I, I think that knee jerk, uh, if something does happen, uh, I, I would go, you know, full blown yeah. in, especially yeah. if there's any kind of real pullback. Uh, how do you yeah. see it? Well, again, when you get these huge knee jerk reactions, and I, I think one would have to give that more than a single day to play out, you know, type of thing. It's not oh, like right, right. on the opening type of thing. But, but but it's not long. I mean, we, we see these right. things snap back within, you know, maybe not days, but a week yeah. or two, not months. Yeah. Obviously, you, you need no escalation or something has to kind of stabilize very quickly. But then you start looking at things like 50% retracements. So if you see something drop by 10% in reaction to a news item like that, there's a good chance there's going to be a 5% rebound somewhere along the line. Now, the risk is you go in at minus 10 and it drops to minus 15, but, <laughs> and then it only rebounds to you know, minus 7 or 8%, uh, but you still get that bounce. And that typically, you're 100% right. You get that kind of big flush, and then as long as it doesn't escalate and you know, things are somewhat stable, you do then subsequently get a pretty good snapback. And, um, you know, I, I'm not willing to go there, given that, because I think potentially if they go into Ukraine, um, I'm not sure what the ramifications could be. It could get kind of nasty for a while. I mean, and I'm not talking about, you know, uh, actual broad-based military conflict, but it just would be a real destabilizer. I mean, if it led to oil going above 100 bucks, well, guess what? Um, that's not going to be good for the economy. Um, and you know, it's so, interesting. You know, it's interesting. You said the chart's not telling you, you know, you're, you're looking at oil yeah. and you're, we always talk about the one thing about technical analysis is you, uh, find these, uh, spots on the chart, you know, these highs and lows and you play off of these different levels. And it's funny how then the news finds the, the spot, but the chart, the oil chart charts are, are telling you that right now it doesn't appear there would be any kind of uh, invasion if you're just yeah, looking I mean, at the oil they, chart. Even if we wouldn't take that off the table entirely, uh, Andy, based on backwardation and <clears throat> the chart, it looks like it's ready for a pullback. And everyone's pretty you know, bullish uh, about oil. The other thing is technical analysis helps let me know when I'm wrong. So, yep. okay, I just expressed an opinion. Uh, well, oil gets above 95 uh, and comfortably above that trend line. I would say, well, the odds have just jumped pretty high that I'm going to be wrong on this pullback. And, you know, that would open the door. So that to me is why technical analysis can be so helpful in terms of trying to manage risk as opposed to base all the decisions on fundamental. Uh, because by the time the fundamentals come around, either good or bad, Prices have already moved a fair amount. That's well. That's and, that's a great point because the market is like three, six, nine months forward looking. And that, explain that real quick for yeah. to, for the gains listeners that aren't familiar with how the the market yeah. is trading the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> this is kind of an interesting but tricky subject. If everybody comes to a perception that a certain thing is going to happen down the road, and that is positive. Well, the market is going to reflect that in terms of pricing because people are going to invest money 
in anticipation of that positive outcome. But here's the part that makes it tricky and to me is actually the more important point. Markets are wrong at every top and bottom. Now, that is Wall Street heresy. And I mean, every day, everyone is pounded with markets are a discounting mechanism and they're looking into the future right, and they're telling right. me this and that. And to me, that is complete hogwash. And very simply, it's like, okay, in October 2007, when the S&P made a new all-time high, was it telling us that everything was hunky-dory with the economy, no problems uh, you know, were likely in the next 12 months? Well, I guess they got that wrong. In March of 2009, the S&P was down to 666. Was the world coming into it then? No, the longest business expansion in the country's history was about to begin. Uh, gold got up to uh, 2020 bucks in September 2011. It then fell to uh, 1050 Now, in 2011, everybody was talking about inflation, the Fed's balance sheet, blah, 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 blah. Dead wrong. So you know, uh, here's a real good one. 1981, uh, 10-year Treasury yield 15%. Gee, I guess we're on the cusp of runaway inflation. Oops. 40 years of deflation settles in, and, and the tenure goes from 15% to under 50 basis points. I'll give you a modern example. What was everybody saying uh, in the last couple months at, at, at the end of 2021 about crypto? Bitcoin is going to 100,000. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like it should be at 100,000 around right now at the beginning of this year. Right. Everybody right. said that. And when it seemed like everybody said that, that's, I've told, a ton of people, I'm like, there's no way it's going to happen because yeah. when everybody says something's going to happen, then it is definitely not going to happen when it comes yeah. to financial markets. No, you're 100% right. And the reason is if people are bullish, hey, it's going to go to 100000 what have they done with their money? They've already invested it. So you get to a place where, you know, you ask Who's behind people, them? What you, Who's behind exactly, them to buy? The market's already yeah. absorbed that buying. You know, and if you got 10 people and nine of them already bought, how much more upside can you get? And then all of a sudden it takes, gee, one of the nine decides to get cautious or, you know, I'm going to sell out. Well, there's only one potential buyer left. So, um, you know, again, that's called contrary opinion. I like contrary opinion. I mean, to me, that is far more valuable uh, and practical than trying to, you know, buy onto the idea that markets are a discounting mechanism. You know, right. I mean, uh, that's why being a contrarian, in my opinion, and and a, a regular yeah. contrarian that we have on the Gaines podcast is Mark Holbert. I mean, the, yes. you know, Mark Holbert, yeah. I mean, the contrarian. Yeah. Uh, it just shows you that it's and, and this goes for life. I, I've talked about this before, just life in general. If everybody is zigging, you should zag. Uh, right. Just don't follow the lemmings. That's the <laughs> that's the worst thing you can do. Is is kind of being in the space ahead of everybody else is is the sweet spot in any kind of markets. Yep, yep, yeah. I mean, last year I heard countless people come on CNBC uh, and say that the bond market was telling them that inflation was going to be transitory and not that big of a deal. Oh right, well, right. Yeah, Everybody was saying, "Oh, I, yeah. I." We heard for months economists right. on CNBC, <laughs> all, you know, yeah. Fox Business, all all the financial yep. channels yeah. saying, "Hey, this is this is just a short term. It's transitory." And that yeah. wasn't the case. Yeah, and so I, I mean, I here's the case. The thing you're talking about, everybody's zigging. You got to start thinking about zagging. It takes a tremendous amount of courage to do that. 
to go against the crowd because the crowd is usually feasting on information that's widespread, well-known. And it's very difficult to then say, well, that's wrong or that's not completely right. So to me, for people to try to become a true contrarian, when you see everybody being positive, then you have to start looking for where are the cracks in the story that everybody else is believing in. A.K.A. I always yeah, I was going to say the narrative. Yes. So um, and as you start to look at that, as opposed to, gee, being with the crowd and only looking at the things that support your position. Um, and this is a good lesson, no matter what. If you are positive about something, it's always good to kind of check yourself to say, OK, what if I'm wrong? Uh, you know, be objective in terms of, OK, I'm going to be willing to read information that's counter to my opinion. Um, that's how you stay objective and I think balanced in terms of trying to invest and it helps not, you get, not get caught up in the herd mentality. So, you know, effectively what I just discussed in November, December was the expectation that the street was way, way behind the inflation story. The fed was behind it. They were going to have to ramp up rates and that we were going to see a rush of people starting to guess how many times the fed was going to raise rates. We've already seen that. I mean, we went from two, three, and then Bank of America came out with seven. So everybody's tripping over themselves now to try to guess how many rate increases there's going to be. So from a contrarian point of view, I'm taking it like, okay, I think sometime in the second quarter, um, after the Fed's raised rate three times and we're starting to see inflation come down, there could be a pause button out there. I don't hear anybody talking about that kind of stuff at this point in time. It doesn't make me right or wrong. It just makes me try to be an original thinker and keep my mind open and not get caught up with, you know, the, the, the herd right now that everybody's rushing to try to be right about how many times the Fed's going to raise rates and is it going to be 50 basis points and all the rest of that stuff. It's time to start looking for reasons why the Fed may have the opportunity to switch. Not going to show up for another two, three months. But that, you know, to me, it's always important to kind of, if possible, think ahead of the curve and in anticipating the 10 to 15 percent correction in the first quarter. You know, when we did our discussions and, well, what ideas do you have? And in December, I'm like, uh, no, I don't have anything I would tell anybody to buy because I think we're going to get a much better buying opportunity. So trying to be ahead of the curve can be really helpful because then if the S&P does drop to 40 100 or whatever the number turns out to be, the newspapers are going to be, oh, my God, the sky's falling. Um, but if, if you can be out ahead of the curve, you, it makes it easier than to step up to the plate. And, All right. and, you know, that to me is one of the most important lessons any investor can both learn and then put into practice. All right. And so as we're wrapping up the, the, the podcast today, um, a couple of takeaways from me. Obviously, you, you see the Treasury yields maybe continuing to move higher here. You yep. like emerging markets. You threw that emerging markets ETF yep. uh, ticker EEM. You think that oil has kind of peaked here, may pull mm -hmm. back a little bit. The markets are kind of telling you that there is going to be a pullback in oil and uh, that that actually bodes well 
as far as if, if if you're using those data points to kind of predict what might happen with Russia and Ukraine. Um, any final parting shots here? Um, and again, that that forty two twenty three level on the downside for the S and P uh, looks like a, a a key area that you're watching and could see that S and P going maybe as low as four thousand. Um, and and upon that, it's it's nibble time. And then yep. if if something yep. gets hit a little harder, yeah, maybe it's it's gobble time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, if the S and P gets down there, the market will be really oversold again. So stepping up to the plate and putting some money to work, if the S and P gets under forty two hundred, and the more it goes under forty two hundred, the more oversold the market will be. Then you're almost guaranteed a pretty good rally to snap back, like we've seen since January 24th. The S&P got to 42.23, and a week ago it was 45.95. You know, that was a a foreseeable event to see the market was going to rally if the rubber band just got stretched so far. If the S&P gets below 4,200, the same thing's going to happen again, Andy. And then it's just going to come down to, hey, if inflation starts to ease off a little bit, (laughs) you know, that will make a big difference both in terms of stabilizing Treasury yields and then stabilizing the equity market and, you know, enable and potentially set the stage for a big rally in the second half of this year. Thanks for holding our hands through these volatile markets. Uh, a lot scary, especially for people who haven't been in stocks and in, and haven't invested for a real long time. This is part of the process. You make your hay in down markets, you know, over the long term. So, uh, hey, thanks again uh, to Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios in San Diego. His website is always macrotides.com. Um, give them your email one more time, yeah. uh, Jim, so they can, uh, uh, so the Gaines listeners can reach out to you direct uh, to get some of that valuable information you're willing to share. Well, thanks, Andy. I believe and have believed for a long, long time knowledge is power. And the one thing I try to deliver is a lot of information so that my subscribers become knowledgeable and more understanding of what drives the economy and financial markets and monetary policy. And I think, uh, I really do believe the feedback I get from subscribers is, wow, I, you know, thank you for what you have provided. So uh, I'm happy to send them February issue, Jim Welsh, W-E-L-S-H, macro at gmail.com. And I appreciate everyone taking the time to listen. And uh, we're in for some, you know, I think a great opportunity sometime in the next 60 days or so in the markets. You got us licking our chops. All right. (laughs) Hey, be sure to subscribe, follow, and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts uh, if that's an option for you. And as always, subscribe and turn on those notifications so you know when a new episode drops. Uh, Next week, we're going to be talking Russia and Ukraine, and we're going to continue to look at markets. And I got a lot of good stuff planned for next week. So join us again next Tuesday. That's when we're dropping the next gains episode. Everybody have a great Valentine's Day. And hey, thanks again, Jim. You're welcome. Thank you, Andy. And, you know, happy Valentine's Day. It helps all of us focus on what's really important in life. Money. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's end it there. Hey, we'll see you on Tuesday. (laughs) Bye. Bye. A News Radio WBBM podcast powered by Odyssey. 
baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 